Hi, this is Mike from Come and Take It. Enjoy one of our best ofs, episode 22, Britt Johnson. Keep listening, and without further ado, here's the show. Don't look out up on Wikipedia. We're, we're history. Listen to this podcast. Listen to this podcast, yes. <laughs> Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today we talk about one of the great unsung heroes of Texas history, Britt Johnson, an African-American slave who set out alone into Comancheria to rescue his wife and children recently taken in a raid and became a legend on the Texas frontier. But first, what's your favorite Texas University animal mascot? Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say Bevo so that 50% of the state of Texas will stand up and applaud me right now. And I'm going to choose Reveille to catch the other half, although there's a whole culture around Reveille that I find quite admirable. I'm going to choose SMU, the SMU Mustangs Peruna, who is a Shetland pony and is the only animal mascot in football history to kill another animal mascot during a football game. True story. Look it up, Wikipedia. Don't look it up on Wikipedia. We're, we're history. Listen to this podcast. Listen to this podcast, yes. <laughs> All of us love the movie The Searchers, the classic Western where John Wayne's character Ethan Edwards spends years and years searching for his niece who was kidnapped by Comanche Raiders. We previously talked about how this story is based on the true story of Cynthia Ann Parker and her uncle James Parker's own search for her. The truth is, this was a scene that repeated itself time and time again on the Texas frontier. But a forgotten part of Texas history is the story of Britton Johnson, a slave who spent over a year in Comancheria searching for his family. His quest to find his family and his later death at the hands of the Kiowa Raiders gave him a legendary status that was unique for an African-American of his time and one that has been sadly mostly forgotten in mainstream Texas history. So who was Britton Johnson? There's not a lot of information about his early life. He was probably born in Tennessee around 1840 into the estate of Moses Johnson. Some reports say Moses was his father, others say Moses' son John was his father. It was fairly common for white slave owners to father children by female slaves. Prominent Texan freedmen Greenberry Logan and Hendrick Allen, who both served in the Texian army during the Revolution, were most likely the sons of white slaveholders. Other records indicate that Britain's father may have belonged to Moses and died when Brit was young. To be fair, this was often a common claim to avoid embarrassment for the family when an owner had fathered a child by a slave. Brit was still a slave, but appears that Moses and John considered him part of the family and thought highly of him. Brit was taught to read and write, learned accounting and figures, and was an accomplished horseman, hunter, and tracker. He was also allowed to marry. When the Johnson family came to Texas in the late 1850s, Britt and his wife, another slave named Mary, came with them. The Johnsons settled on Elm Creek in the Peters Colony not far from Fort Belknap, about 150 miles west of Dallas. At the time, this was the far western edge of the frontier. When I was in elementary school, uh, I lived in a town called McGargle, which is about 30 miles from this, and it is still pretty frontiers today. Britt worked for Moses as his ranch foreman, raising and driving horses and cattle, and running a small ox cart freight operation as well. He and Mary were given a portion of the land to homestead and raise cattle on their own, and Britt also served as a scout and orderly for the army post. By all accounts, even though he was a slave, he was free to come and go as he pleased and often went with Moses and John on cattle drives, and he made trips to Dallas. Other times, he was trusted to lead them on his own. So this raises some interesting questions about early black Texans. 
Now, early Texas always had a somewhat contradictory relationship with its black residents. In the pre-Republic days, slavery was technically illegal and blacks could be full citizen of the Republic of Mexico. Uh, Further, interracial relationships were legal in Mexico, which was largely a mixed-race society to begin with. In the 1820s and 30s, Texas became a haven for freedmen as well as interracial families. On the other hand, most blacks who did come to Texas did so as slaves. The early colonists used loopholes to get around Mexican laws, or they just ignored them. The Republic, on one hand, praised men like Logan and Allen for their service to the state, but they also passed laws stating that anyone of African descent in Texas had to stay with the consent of the legislature. This law was later changed to state that anyone who'd lived in Texas prior to the Revolution could stay if they wished, and that had an interesting effect by effectively freeing pre-Republic-era slaves if their masters decided to leave the states with them. As a state, the laws there were laws preventing interracial marriages, limiting property rights and legal protections, and of course, freedmen could not be citizens until the re- Reconstruction. But at the same time, there's ample evidence, especially in communities that predated the Revolution, that there were free blacks uh, being very successful and prominent prominent businessmen and tradesmen, and there was also continued toleration of interracial relationships in these communities. In addition, unlike most other slave states, blacks, both free and slave, could travel about armed, especially on the frontier. The perceived danger of a slave revolt took a backseat to the very real dangers of Comanches, outlaws, or banditos. And on the eve of the Civil War, in some parts of Texas, there was incredible violence against freed and enslaved blacks. But in many other places, blacks were treated with fairness and with more equality than even in parts of the ostensibly anti-slavery North. All of this digression illustrates the incredible complexity of relationships in Texas between races during Britt Johnson's time. So back to our story. By 1864, Britt Johnson had a family of three children. His small ranch, and that of Moses Johnson, which he was responsible for, was successful and prosperous, and he was considered a valued, industrious, and respected member of the frontier community. In October, he and Moses set out on a buying trip to Dallas. Mary and the children went to stay with the family of their closest neighbors, her friend, Elizabeth Fitzpatrick. Now, it was common in the time for the women and children to gather together in one home for protection when the men were away. Remember that during the war, the defensible frontier had retreated over a hundred miles, and the Peters Colony was very much in the middle of Comancheria, mostly the ranging area of the Nakoni Band. Fort Belknap and Fort Phantom Hill were both mostly abandoned, and there were never enough Confederate troops or rangers to patrol the whole frontier, so most of the time the folks on the plains just had to defend themselves. On October 13th, Comanche and Kiowa raiders attacked the Fitzpatrick home. Despite a fierce fight organized by Miss Fitzpatrick's daughter Millie Susanna Durkin, the raiders killed Millie as well as the son and grandson of Mrs. Fitzpatrick. Britt's five-year-old son, Jubal, was also killed. Elizabeth Fitzpatrick and grandchildren Mildred and Lottie and Mary Johnson and her two daughters were also carried away by the Indians along with the farm's horses and cattle. The raiders attacked another nearby farm that night, killing more men, women, and children, and taking hundreds of cattle and horses. But they were driven off when a Confederate patrol arrived. Britt and Moses arrived the next morning to find Britt's only son dead and his wife and children taken. According to contemporary sources, Britt Johnson was a brave and fearless Indian fighter. No one stood higher in the country in which he lived. By most accounts, he buried a son and then asked Moses if he could leave to go rescue his family. It is a measure of the esteem and affection Moses held for Britt that he not only wrote a letter of permission freeing Britt to go, but gave him half of all the money he had to help Britt in his task. Britt set off alone into Comanche territory to find his family. He knew that time was short. Many captives would not last long, and young children were quick to be assimilated into Comanche culture. 
Johnson initially set out for Indian Territory, which is likely where the raid originated. He made contacts with other Comanche and Kiowa bands, looking for some trace of his family. Eventually, in 1865, he went to live with the Comanche in order to gain their trust and aid to find and negotiate the return of his family. Many accounts have him encountering a Comanche chief named Asa Heavy, which means Milky Way, who favored peace with the whites. Asa Havey was known to have worked to secure the release of other Comanche and Kiowa captives. Johnson secured trade goods and horses and provided them to Asa Havey to trade for other captives that Britt learned about or encountered, even if he did not know them or have personal connections to them. After nearly a year in late 1865, Lottie Durkin and possibly Elizabeth Fitzpatrick were located and ransomed with Britt's trade goods by Asa Havey, and the captors of Britt's family were finally located. Through Havey, Britt negotiated a ransom to free Mary and their two daughters. Asa Havey made the trade and took Mary and the girls to meet Britt at Fort Griffin in West Texas. Now, what neither of them could have known was that Mary was with child when she was captured and had given birth to a son. Because he was not part of the negotiation, the baby was kept by the Comanche. Britt and Asa Havey had to return to the Comanche to negotiate for his release as well, which they eventually secured after another year or two. This soured Johnson's reputation with some of the Comanche and Kiowa, as some of them felt like he may have tricked his way into regaining his family. Britt was warned that if he ever returned to their territory, they would kill him. The Johnson family was finally reunited, and they moved to Parker County, which is near Fort Worth where he resumed his teamster business hauling freight. Due to his bravery in pursuing his family alone in Indian country, and because he had helped secure the release of white captives who weren't related to him, his reputation stood real high among the frontier community. And this is really where his legend grew. And this is amazing for a black man, and now newly freed by the Civil War, to become so popular even in the racially tense Reconstruction era. Britt and his two employees, Friedman Dennis Curtin and Paint Crawford, were hauling freight in January of 1871, when they were ambushed by a Kiowa war party at Little Salt Creek Prairie, not far from his old home on Elm Creek. The men were killed and scalped, and their bodies were left to die on the prairie. A group of nearby teamsters who found their bodies reported that they found Britt slumped behind his fallen horse, surrounded by over 100 spent shell casings, and evidence that he had taken a number of the Kiowa braves with him. He and his companions were buried nearby, and Johnson and his family slipped out of history and into legend. I think this is a good time in the episode for us to share our thoughts on the legend of Brent Johnson. I did a lot of the research on this because as I was reading about the Comanche for a previous episode, I did stumble across this, the story of this character, Brent Johnson. Uh, and for a while in the late 1800s, he was, he's quite a popular character. And there was a lot of stories about him, about this, this big fight with the, the Kiowa and him going off into the, into the Com- Comanche territory to find his family. I just think it's fascinating that that this character, in a time when slavery was the the law of the land, and people, you know, that there was so much concern about slaves and about uprisings and stuff, this character, this person, was actually, you know, he's trusted basically to do to come and go as he pleased, and he had this reputation as a as a fierce fighter and a fair person, and and he's he's now kind of a forgotten character, and I think people should should know more about this person. Yeah, I mean, and he does embody very well the whole frontier spirit of texas that we've talked about over and over it's like here's this guy living out literally on the frontier with his family doing what he can to make a living and you know he's good at it and people respect him for it right and he succeeded and and there's some some reports that you know that kind of diminished what he did that uh, that asa havey was the one who secured the these captives and everything but i mean every report i've seen said that he provided the trade goods to asa havey that he did go out and try to find his family and you know, so many people did not succeed in finding 
their family. Uh, one of one of Creed Taylor's brothers tried to go and find a girl that was kidnapped from from that area, Matilda Lockhart, and they never succeeded until much later. So this is a common theme in Texas history. You know, we've done so many episodes that focus on a lot of the negatives of Texas that focus on a lot of the conflict in Texas and really focus on the quote-unquote civilized parts of Texas. You know, the frontier of Texas is very much a different world when you compare it to South Texas. You got out on the frontier and it was a whole other world where you, you're you in Comancheria and, and you were living by their rules and in their land. And it wasn't really a Texas at all. It was it was this wild frontier place. Right. And, and, and it was a different set of rules and a different set of social expectations. And, and it was really everybody was supposed to work together and to defend each other. And, and that's that's what I think Britt Johnson is, is a great Texas hero that is largely forgotten. And we, we need to know about it. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to Brainstable and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. And I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I am Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.